Hey, it's Cam. Welcome to my podcast. I am happy you are here. And I really mean that. There's a lot to choose from. And I'm grateful that you have tuned into this podcast. Unless I don't develop a good enough hook, in which case some people might leave. Um, but for those of you that have made it through the first 23 seconds, congratulations. Part of what I'm doing here with my long, drawn-out pauses is not to generate drama and suspense. It's A, I don't know what I'm about to say, and I'm trying to hold space for myself, and B, I'm training your attention. Because this ain't TikTok. No. And for those of you that have come from TikTok and are listening to me here, there might be a change of pace that seems a little foreign to what you've seen on social media, but different mediums, my friends. Long form is the ultimate form, and I'm very much still learning to do this by myself. I've stopped and started this recording mm, six times, but not this one. We're staying with this one. And even this podcast is a, this is a very impulsive podcast because I had a different one planned, and I got to sitting down, and I just wasn't vibing it. And I want to be vibing this. I want to be speaking how I feel. And I'm not here to cut corners in that way. And also, it's my podcast. You know, that's a crazy thing. Any of you can start a podcast. Maybe half of you have already. But this one's mine, so we're going to do it my way. And doing it my way, doing it your way, it's really important that we, that we tune into that natural enthusiasm. I had a moment, a few moments, several moments, more than six and less than eight, over the last couple of weeks where I felt empty of content empty of ideas. A lot of that is just a lack of perspective, um, staying within my own head too much, not reaching out to people and just having a conversation because really all it takes is for one person's renewed perspective or different interpretation of what you think about what you're thinking and what you think about what you're doing. And that can reframe things and completely alter the trajectory of your thoughts and thus what you manifest with your thoughts. But it's also a matter of a little bit of burnout. I've been working. I've been working hard. Um, I'm not saying that's uh, a brag whatsoever, because I would be less busy if I had better systems. Um, less busy if I had better processes around how I create and how I manage my work and my time and my self care and my rejuvenation, restoration. You have to breathe in to breathe out. You have to fill the cup to pour from the cup. But I've also found that my definition of burnout has changed. What happens when you push through what you thought you couldn't is that the point that you think you can't ends up coming later. Your tolerance changes for things and also developing the why, the why behind the how. In the words of, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, Viktor Frankl. Or maybe he took the words from Nietzsche. One of those guys. They say that if you have a strong enough how, any if you have a strong enough why, any how is possible. Anyway, butchered that, so I'm probably gonna cut that out of the podcast. Moving on. The reason that I changed today's podcast to be something that I was interested in is because I received a wonderful letter. And really the, the messages that I've been getting are incredible. It's the most beautiful, 
insight to, you know, humankind. We're, all of us are experiencing everything. It, goes, it shows to, to reflect the, the oneness of the human experience. And no matter what time and age and century you're in, we, there's a resonance of the human spirit, a resonance of the human mind, a resonance of the human heart. And within that resonance, within the spectrum that exists within that, that broad span of frequencies resides suffering. A lot of suffering. A lot of feeling lost, confused. A lot of yearning for connection. The feeling of a, a deficit of sorts. And when we had last 10, 20 years and algorithms slowly started to take the place of institutions and authority and, you know, religion itself. And, you know, what is religion? What is philosophy? What is culture? Culture is uh, the manifestation of religion, of philosophy, of turmoil, of challenge, of resistance, of friction, and the interpretation of the world around us, the universe within and above us that makes this into something that has meaning. What is the meaning? Ah, oy vey, as my grandmother Esther would say. Cameron, this bagel's so stale. Miss you, Grandma. Anyway, getting sidetracked, and this is what this episode is kind of about anyway. I received a beautiful letter from a person named Madeline. Maybe she goes by Madeline, but I'm going to go with Madeline today. And this ties into a lot of what we're experiencing, right? Especially the people here that uh, have started a meditative practice, have experienced some kind of uh, spiritual growth in the form of a catalyst, something that can radically change your worldview uh, in itself, giving you this greater appreciation, but kind of chipping away at the foundation of what you thought was around you what you thought you were, are, will be. The glimpse into what exists beyond the ego. It's like dipping your toes into a stream. And then the next stage is slipping into the stream itself. And then that final stage is that stream just goes out to an ocean and now you are one with it all. Stages of enlightenment and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of TikTok stuff. There's a lot of 5D, new awakened, the chosen ones. Uh, same stuff that's happened forever is that we look for patterns. We see those patterns because we're looking for them. And we see what we are, not necessarily what the world is. And within those patterns, we find solace and comfort and certainty, a resurgence, a rebirth an ascension. Maybe they have ascended. I hope for their sake they have. I'm not sure if I'd still be TikToking, honestly, if I had ascended fully. I barely TikTok now. <laughs> I'll get back into it, folks. But anyway, getting on to Madeline's questions, because she presented these at just the right time. I've been getting a lot of questions along these lines and instead of answering 
Madeline's questions at the end of this podcast. I wanted to make it its own podcast because this is, this is how the conversation starts. And I also don't want to get stuck in the realm of thinking about what I think you guys want to listen to. I want to be able to foster that conversation with you. And this is how we do it. So from Madeline, hi, Cam. My name is Madeline and I'm from Los Angeles, California. First of all, I wanted to thank you for having the openness to share your experience and perspective in the world. I've been practicing mindfulness and meditation for a few years now, but discovering your unique approach to the practice on TikTok and how seamlessly you've integrated it with your other passions like wellness and philosophy really resonated with me in ways I haven't previously experienced. Oh boy, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to read that. <laughs> it really is. I'm grateful. The ways you distill and communicate the wisdom you've gained is truly inspiring, and I've been taking a lot of your advice to heart, particularly around dopamine release. Game changer. I'm already seeing the positive effects in my life. Fantastic. I love to hear that. That <clears throat> gets me amped. So I've just started listening to your podcast and would love to see some of these topics in the future if you're so inclined. I am indeed inclined. I am massively inclined. Stoked and inclined. Let's go. I've got three questions here, and I'm going to answer them sequentially in the best way that I can. Because you do what you can until you know better. And then when you know better, you can do better. But by then, this podcast will be well and truly released. So there's no going back. We just got to keep going forwards. One of the best ways to drop the anxiety you have about your creations, if you just started to put your art, your creations out into the universe, whether you play music or you're a painter or you're a dancer or you're a podcaster... It's easy to slip into the imposter syndrome, but really the imposter syndrome isn't necessarily a bad thing if you recognize that it is the awareness of how much more there is to know, and that only humbles you in a way that still encourages growth. So I guarantee you, every, everybody feels like an imposter from time to time. The trick is to realize it's just a side effect of, of caring about something that you want to grow in. So question number one, managing ambition with mindfulness. Similar to the experience you shared in Cam's story, as I've deepened my practice, I noticed my desire to pursue decrease, which was a pretty jarring realization as someone who prides themselves in being an achiever. That's not to say I've completely let it go, though I think it's helped manage my issues around perfectionism and imposter syndrome, but it's been challenging nevertheless to balance the sometimes conflicting interests between the two, and I'd love to hear your take on it. What a beautiful question, and what a relevant question. I suppose it's always been relevant, which is that, that, that undercurrent of humanity, that resonance, that spectrum of frequencies that seem to govern, influence, shape the state of the human experience. So ambition with mindfulness, it is a frequent enough occurrence that once you have some kind of breakthrough moment, so you dip your toes into the stream, the eye is opened, even, even just for a blink, and you are able to identify, grasp, touch, experience in some way that which exists beyond the ego and the self, the, the other side of the coin, dipping your toes into the stream. And when you do this, there can be a, a pretty immediate and very jarring severing of materialism from the 
foundations of your ambition, right? You go, what am I working for? It's the realization that everything you want is everything that you have. Same thing goes for, you know, those that don't know what they want. Maybe it's because you already have it. This can be a temporary thing. I do think that meditation and ambition and mindfulness, spirituality can peacefully coexist. And this, you know, we, we always keeping an eye out for when there's an example of the ego coming into play, right? The ego, I'm not assigning any kind of moralistic value to it. No kind of emotional capital. It just is. It's not good. It's not bad. It just is. It's a tool. It's like the goggles that go over your eyes when you're swimming in the sea and the world around you goes from vague, dark, ineffable into something that is, has clarity. It focuses the external reality into something that is personally relevant for you, right? And so reason that you want a Volkswagen Jetta and then all you can see is Volkswagen Jettas. Uh, you want a relationship and all you can see is happy couples. It's the idea that we don't get what we want, we get what we are. But it's a realization that you have it, right? And so a lot of the strings that were pulling you forward into that ambition, right? Like if you look at ambition, it's like there's this string attached to your chest. And on the other end of that string is the desire pulling you forward into the experience. Like it's, it's almost a, something that you don't have free will over. You have to pursue, you have to grow, you want to succeed, right? And we know that material things aren't going to provide us everlasting happiness, Hedonic adaptation kicks in and we must always return to the baseline. Got lots of neurochemicals going on here, but what comes up must come down. And through this meditative practice, especially when you, you break through that first kind of wall, then the materialism world, that, that matrix, you do snap out of it for a second. And not only do you snap out of it, you become almost disgusted with what you see. Disgusted with the stuff around you, all that I've accumulated. Same thing goes with whenever you turn, return from traveling, right? You've been living on the road and with a backpack for weeks on end. While you're away, you don't miss anything that you have at home. Pets, people, but you don't miss any materialistic thing. You're not sitting back gazing at a mountain going, I really miss my Nintendo Switch right now. And then when you get back, after having lived without this stuff for weeks or months, it, it holds no value either. That, that distance, it's a distance between that which has control over us. And that's why meditation is so powerful. But after this experience, after you get through the categorization of this, the... the interpreting of this new experience of this new meaning in life and in the deficit of material in the space that that previously resided in something different occurs it's a rebirth of sorts right like it's it's a death that you go through like a shake a snake shedding its skin and in that rebirth that ambition if you tune into your emotional guidance center, if you practice aligning with your highest self, the source, the divine God, whatever that is for you, then the hole that materialism filled is now being propagated by intention. 
understanding, clarity of sorts, even if fleeting, and even if it's hard to put into words, put into language, because a lot of these experiences are not easy to verbalize. And because we tend to use verbal language as the only way of communicating, then it's hard to integrate those experiences, right? But I'd say that in the, in the deficit of materialistic desires, not to say you shouldn't or couldn't have them. I like cool things, right? I like instruments. I like nice cars. I like motorcycles. I like a nice fly rod. I like, I like, I like gadgets. I like a nice phone, my AirPods. I lost those last week and I was abjectly upset. I'm not over it because it was a materialistic possession that provided great value in my life. And that's what it comes back to. So the ambition, you can tie that into your intention. What is your intention? Not what is your purpose? Purpose being almost this kind of vague, ineffable thing to be found in the external world and brought into you and held on to, but intention, the generative feeling that comes from within the feeling that you get and through acting in alignment with your intention, you can often find your purpose, but I like to uh, keep things open, drive in a general direction, not necessarily having an exact destination. And so when you, you know, the conflicting interests between the two, are they conflicting interests between, you know, letting go and being an achiever? Because, these interests don't really seem conflicting. It's, it's a, that confliction as well. I think a lot of that comes from our societal programming. We think that we should want stuff. We think that we should want to hustle. We think that we should want the six figure job and the nice car and the down payment on the house in the pretty neighborhood. Those are all nice things. Yeah, absolutely. No judgment there. I'm heading down that same path. But at the same time, it's, you know, the intention behind why you're doing it. If, if a base materialistic desire and ambition is all that exists within you, then it's a rat race. Then it's the carrot and the stick, right? The perpetual yearning for the next best thing to replace the misery that exists in the space that the other best thing you got has now left open. Your ambition can be tied into what you want to be. Success. I want to be successful. What is your definition of success? I want to be the best in the world at what I do. What do you do? I'm not sure yet. Keep redefining what you do until you are the best in the world at that thing. Don't have to keep redefining who you are because who you are is the awareness of this moment, the awareness of the wonderful meat vessel that you inhabit, but... What is it that you would be? And honestly, when that materialism drops off, you are left with so much more capacity to really prioritize and, and decide what is important to you. There's less stuff clouding your vision. You can see with clarity, it's that highest self. Does your highest self want the 2022 Ford Ranger? Actually, in my case, probably yes. Or does your highest self want to be the most impactful person they could be, touch lives, shape and transform the human experience? Does this person want to inspire through creation and expression 
the raw aspects of the human soul that seem to be diminished and subdued within the media that we get in general. What is the intention? Doesn't even have to be that complicated. I want to help people. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to create. I want to innovate. I want to change lives. So to sum it up, ambition and meditation and mindfulness can absolutely coexist and should coexist because through meditation and mindfulness, we can align our ambition to be something that is truly aligned with us. Because you don't want to get to the end of your life and go, thank God I worked 30 years straight at that job so I could die of a heart attack in my Mercedes in the driveway. Mercedes that you were going to trade into the car lot next week for the new one anyway. Oh, you could have had the upgraded leather seats. But no, death comes for us all. So it's important to fill your days with things that you love. And also meditation, mindfulness, it, it allows for a clarity uh, because you get the, the broader view, the grander perspective. Through that grand perspective, you know, the point of neutrality, you have the, the greatest expansive view of the landscape around you. It's, it's easier to see opportunities when those opportunities are coming from intention. You see what's behind them rather than just like what you get because what you get is usually different from what you expect. But if you just act with intention, then... Things tend to pan out. I hope that makes sense. Next question. Using psychedelics and or cannabis to elevate awareness or expansion of the self. I'm curious to get your thoughts on how to utilize plant medicines effectively to explore or open up your consciousness. How that might differ from more traditional methods like meditation. Brackets, is it possible to achieve a similar level or feeling of being without mind-altering substances? And what philosophy has to say about using alternative medicine to venture into the mind? Brilliant question, and honestly, one that deserves its own podcast. And we'll get to that. We got some guests coming up to explore these things. But plant medicines are another key aspect, another key element of the undercurrent of society, culture, history, religion, philosophy, interpretation, perspective of this universe. I would say that. You know, is it possible to achieve a similar level or feeling of being without these substances? Maybe some people can. Maybe some people can. You know, your breath is powerful. That breath connects you to, you know, to DMT, to the spirit realm, to God, to consciousness, to the source, the, to the divine. It has the potential to release a flood of different neurotransmitters, catecholines, uh, serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, anandamide, endogenous opioids, endogenous cannabinoids. Do they do it in the strength and richness of experience that a psychedelic can induce? Again, maybe there are some people out there, but in general, no. There's not really anything out there that can mimic or emulate a an ayahuasca journey or an LSD journey or mushrooms, these things, the reason that they've maintained themselves within the undercurrent of religion and history and philosophy is because they are a gateway, the doors of perception. These mind-altering substances, these expansive substances, they could be argued, could be debated, could be said that they are key elements of many of the, the religions that we know today. 
Hinduism, Christianity, specifically Hinduism, psilocybin cubensis grows in cow dung. And you, it could be said that because these tenders of the herd would follow their cows around and within their dung would grow a psilocybin cubensis, an edible mushroom, and they would ingest that and experience other realms, deities, connection to the source, to the, to the divine. And so the cow is a vessel for this experience, a vessel for God. The Eleusinian mysteries, Eleusinian mysteries, the Eleusinian mysteries were initiated ceremonies in ancient Greece that were made with water, barley, herbs, and goat cheese. And it's likely that that barley had ergot in it, a fungus, which contains LSD. And through these ceremonies, the Eleusinian mysteries, they were categorizing, communicating, and experiencing the realm of their gods. In ancient Egypt, they had the Egyptian acacia, which is the Egyptian version of almost ayahuasca, which is that South American brew containing massive amounts of DMT, dimethyltryptamine, powerful psychoactive compound released when we dream, also referred to as the god molecule or the spirit molecule. And within these experiences, we have recurring themes, whether it's uh, LSD, psilocybin, um, DMT, peyote, the cactus used in religious ceremonies in Mexico, Mexico, South America, and uh, Native American cultures and religions. Even the Paleolithic people, nine to 10,000 years ago, there have been found giant statues of mushrooms littered throughout Guatemala and El Salvador. Presumably, these statues were erected to pay homage to the spiritual powers of the psychedelic mushroom. There are descriptions of psilocybin cubensis and Amanita muscaria throughout the Bible. There is an undercurrent to psychedelics that exists within all of our understanding, all of the religions and frameworks, the burning bush, DMT. So I'd say that when it comes to how people might utilize these these plants, these medicines for spiritual growth, for healing, for expansion. First of all, this is not medical advice and I'm not advising you on how to do this yourself. I do believe that experienced practitioners that are versed in the ways of the plant and the ways of the spirit and the ways of the ways to guide, those are the people that are obviously most well-equipped to talk about this. But usually these experiences, there's nothing that's a cure, right? There's no silver bullet for turning your life into a different life. There's no silver bullet for a cure uh, for mental health, for PTSD, for anxiety, for depression, for loving yourself. These things come close to that, not in the sense of being a cure, but something that is the foundation of change. These experiences are just part of the journey, part of the formula, the rest of the experiences, how we assimilate that into our lives, how we integrate it. There's no point in getting the metrics if you don't know how to change them. And you know, there's not a lot of point in getting these grand experiences if we get in the car and get stuck in traffic on the way to work the next day. We need time to integrate these things, make sense of them, embody them. And a, f a lot of the changes that come from these psychedelics as well, what happens is you have a, an expansive experience, something that defies your vocabulary, something that 
completely breaks and reshifts and reconfigures your paradigm. And a lot of that happens in such a way that it is very difficult to translate into verbal language. It is something you can repeat. It comes in the form of almost our extra senses, the things that exist as a result of the amalgamation of all of our other senses. It's like the entourage effect with something like cannabis, right? It doesn't just come down to THC and CBD. It's the sum of the whole plant that shapes that experience that turns it into a different tool. And the same thing goes with these psychedelics is that we may use them and then embody them, right? Because if you come away with a an understanding of love, say, say medicinal mushrooms, uh, psilocybin coming away with an understanding that what the world needs is love. Just repeating that to people won't put the love into the universe. They could be put into the universe if it was embodied, truly acting with love, acting with intention, thinking with love, deciding to love. Just like sometimes the only way to see the beauty in things is to decide to see the beauty in things. Nothing's going to do it for you. You have to put in the work. And a lot of these experiences for people, especially that are uh, trying to reconcile deeply embedded traumas, um, you know, consistent traumas, really deep foundational neural pathways, the things that come up in these experiences are traumatic in themselves, you're, you're experiencing it again, maybe amplified. And in many cases, your, your emotional response to these things is, is modulated in a way that hopefully allows you to observe and um, call to the surface these traumatic memories, this traumatic stimuli in a way that you can more, not easily, but in a way that you can reconcile with it, come to an understanding with it, remove the crossroads between the two and, and come together and that is done with an experienced guide. That's done with someone who knows what they're doing. In terms of cannabis, is one of the most useful ones because it really does increase that permeability between the conscious and subconscious mind. It allows for that greater perspective, that wider field of view, and the modulated emotional response to things so that you can alter the perspective, see 360 without attaching to it. Because as soon as you attach yourself to it, you just swing around into it and then you become it. And that's what we, we want to increase the distance between us and our thoughts, between a stimulus and a response. And in doing so, paradoxically, become closer with our source and the universe. Tranquility. These compounds also have a massive propensity and ability to facilitate neuroplasticity. So the, the, just the sheer amount of chemicals that are released during a psychedelic experience, the masses, mass amounts of, of dopamine, noradrenaline, norepinephrine, serotonin, oxytocin, anandamide, acetylcholine, these are the chemicals that strengthen our neuroplasticity, that strengthen those neural pathways, right? And so the idea is that, again, coming back to the destinations, there's this same destination with different avenues and pathways to get there. And many of us have some pretty um, maybe inefficient pathways. So we're trying to get from A to B, but we got to walk to C, D, F, 4, 6, 9, and 3 before we get to B. Whereas psychedelics kind of just take you bushwhacking, getting off the highway with all its traffic and its potholes, and we are going off-roading. 
and those chemicals are your car. And the more chemicals they are, the faster that car is going, the heavier it is. And that creates an indentation, an erosion in the brain, a physical neurobiological manifestation of a thought and an experience so that we can reach a different destination and just take a little bit of a shortcut. And I'm not saying that psychedelics are a shortcut, but they, in the right hands, they, they certainly can be. Now I'm going to move on to the final question because it's, it's late and I'm going to go to bed. But how to live in a world that doesn't see things how you do? One of the unexpected consequences of my journey has been at times a feeling of isolation or that no one gets it, especially in the world that I live in where I don't have a lot of friends or family that are interested in the types of topics that you discuss. Convincing them to be open to looking at the world and life differently or exploring mindfulness meditation has been an exercise in futility to say the least. And one that I don't really think I should be responsible for, to be honest. Agreed. So for the most part, I've kept my practice to myself and I share it through my actions. But I'm curious if you've ever experienced something similar on your own journey and how to come to terms with it. Absolutely, it's all part of the growing pains. The feeling of out-of-placeness, of detachment, dissociation from the original paradigm and all the people in it. That's where we find great challenge because it's a different type of solitude. When you have experienced some kind of you know, spiritual shift and awakening of sorts, the realization that there is something beyond the eye, something beyond the ego, that great all-encompassing realm, the space in which it all occurs, when you come into touch with that, even just briefly, it shatters the original protocols of society that have been installed into our minds through experiences and the interpretations of the people around us. And a lot of the people around us, they... People get uncomfortable when they don't see something they recognize, when they don't hear something they recognize. And some of these ideas that you might be talking about with your loved ones, they are so beyond where they've been residing that if <laughs> they're getting whiplash. Even if you lead somebody into it, you can lead a horse to water. And so ultimately, as difficult as it is, and it is difficult when you see people that you love, people that you want to, them to experience what you are experiencing. You want them to see what you see because you know that they can. It's not, it's not so far away. It's not so hard. Quite often it just requires you to sit still and be receptive. So when you see these people around you that you know they could benefit, but they don't have that interest, they get bored about what you're talking about, they don't even really bother trying to understand. We really have to come back to our personal responsibility and their personal responsibility. Same thing goes with ambition. If you have some people in your life that they try to negate your ambition without actually providing any kind of constructive feedback, criticism, guidance around that, instead of saying, all right, you want to do this thing. How can I help you? How do you plan on doing this thing? It's like, oh, that's a ridiculous thing to do. Those are people that have settled. The only people that try to hold you back are the people that settled. They did not pursue their, their unique curiosity, enthusiasm, interest. They let the world decide for them. And that's a difficult thing for them to reconcile. So difficult that they don't, they don't even realize that it's there to be reconciled. It's just that you're wrong. I'm right. I don't really want to think about it. I'm not saying that your friends and family are like that. They just have a very different worldview from you. And I'm not sure how old you are, but a lot of us, especially maybe the younger generation, I'm 20, I'm 24, I'm 24, sweet Jesus, I'm 24. 
And I've been listening to podcasts since I was like 13, 14 years old. That is an unreal access to information. Now, if you're living in Southern Louisiana, hucking corn every summer, and you're surrounded by people that don't really give a shit about looking at the stars, that was racist. Sorry. But if that's your surroundings and one day you pick up a phone and you find a Joe Rogan podcast and it's Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson talking about ancient cultures and civilizations that pre-exist the Egyptians by thousands of years and how there have been mass extinction events that have wiped out swaths of human beings and how what we see today is the remainder, the survivors, that will shatter a paradigm and you will never be the same. But that's only shattered through being receptive and following your organic curiosity. There's no teacher that will make you smart. There's no doctor that will make you healthy. There's no trainer that will make you thin. And there's no guru that will make you calm. As Naval Ravikant says, you must save yourself. You must take responsibility. Responsibility for how you respond to what you see, how you respond to how you feel, the deliberation and so, yeah, it does come back to embodying it, right? If they see the manifestations of your practice in the way that you conduct yourself, in the way that you conduct your interactions with other people, how you engage with yourself, how you wake up and see beauty and you wear a smile, and even during the difficult times you can find the silver lining, not because you have toxic positivity, but because you do see the upside to the downside. You become a keystone of, of resilience, something that in itself will shape your character. And that character is what people will remember. It's what people will resonate with. And you will go through life and you will meet people that respond to that. They see something they see something they want to emulate or connect with or learn. And that's how you find your, your tribe. Stay curious. Always challenge your perspective. Challenge your beliefs, challenge your patterns, challenge yourself, because the world will challenge all of those things. And if you haven't done it yourself, then you might find that those patterns, beliefs, ideas, perspectives don't hold up to the information you are now receiving. As long as you continue to challenge yourself and don't get too prescriptive, prescriptive meaning you find a way that works for something and that's the way that you do things, it's uh, shaking things up, right? If you start doing meditation breath work and you really love the Wim Hof breath work and you know that it does something to you and every time you sit down, you keep doing that breath work, don't get prescriptive. Don't fall into those ruts. Those are, those are neural pathways. That is your brain trying to remain comfortable. So if they're not willing to challenge their mindset, then conversation, support, love. If you live and embody love and you live and embody curiosity. It becomes something infectious and beautiful, something that is just satisfying enough to explore in conversation rather than needing to be taught, needing people to lead to it. At the end of the day, you know, if we do believe that we are as one, that consciousness is a omnipresent force of nature that exists within all beings, then we look upon these people that haven't seen what you've seen, haven't heard what you've heard, don't think what you think, and we look upon them with love anyway. 
Stardust manifests into a biological meat sack with advanced enough software that it is able to realize that it itself is the universe experiencing itself from this meat sack's perspective. And there I leave it. Good night. I think that this, uh, it's probably a lot of rambling in this podcast, but I'm glad I got it off my chest. I love you. I'm grateful for you. I hope you have a wonderful week and I will speak to you soon.